Hello and welcome to the eWellbeing Youth Podcast with your hosts Raquel and Leon. This is the podcast on all things mental health where we talk to young people about topics impacting youth wellbeing. eWellbeing is a youth mental health platform brought to you by YMCA Dancing Group. In today's episode, we'll be talking about neurodiversity and mental health. For today's episode, we'll be handing over to our guest host and eWellbeing Youth Ambassador, Armani. Hi everyone, I'm Armani and I'm an eWellbeing Youth Ambassador. And today we'll be having a chat with Louisa about neurodiversity and mental health. Hi Louisa. Hello. Thanks for joining us today. Please introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a bit about yourself. So hi, I'm Louisa. I'm 17 and I've been blind since birth. I think I'm generally quite a happy person. I've got lots of special interests. I'm really into um, music, swimming, reading and sensory toys and fidgets. I've got a massive box with loads and I really like them. And I'm also in the process of getting an autism diagnosis, which is what the focus of this podcast is going to be talking about today. For our listeners, can we sort of define neurodiversity? Do you have a sort of um, idea? Yeah, yeah. So neurodiversity is the idea that um, well, all, all human brains are different, um, but neurodiversity kind of refers to specific differences um, that the brains may have so for example autism is an example of neurodiversity and um, things like ADHD, dyslexia, um, dyspraxia, all these kinds of things would all be classed as neurodiversity. So neuro meaning brain and diversity meaning difference so it's kind of like a difference in the brain. I think that's a really good definition. Thank you very much for sharing so on that this is Leon by the way Louisa um, can you tell us about your personal experience of trying to get an autism diagnosis? Ever since a young age, I've had autistic traits. So I would get really fascinated by things. I needed a routine. Um, I had difficulties with noise and clothing, textures. Um, I've always sort of struggled with making friends and I've never really been in a friendship group. And all of these traits were recognised by my family, but they were very understanding and very open-minded and they just took me for who I was and they didn't think it was very important at the time to have that diagnosis because they knew who I was, they knew what I liked, what I didn't like and all was well. Um, but they knew that my, my specific eye condition, which is septo-optic dysplasia, it has a link to autism. I'm not sure why, but it is common for people with my condition to be autistic. So it kind of explained it. But when I... Primary school was okay. I really enjoyed it. It was a quiet environment and it was a small school and I didn't have any major problems, but I think it all kind of started to become more challenging when I went to secondary school because, of course, it's quite a big transition to go from 300 ch children in a school to 1,700 children in a school. So mm. that change, it took quite a long time to adjust to um I didn't really have many friends I mean I had a couple but 
that kind of became quite difficult because I found it hard being in um, loud environments. So then I ended up spending a lot of my time in learning support, which then meant that I missed out on quite a lot of social opportunities. But basically, going back to the question, I have I also have a life coach. So she's basically someone who helps me with life challenges and gives me strategies and things like that. And she said to my mum, have you ever considered getting her assessed for autism because it all came about when my great nan passed away and my life coach she asked me how do you feel and I said I really don't know so emotions are quite difficult for me I often don't know how I feel and that was kind of when she thought okay maybe maybe there's something my mum said yes we have thought about it but we've never done it but that seemed like the right time so we went ahead we went to the GP they sent out um, a questionnaire then I went to CAMS and I had my initial assessment and all of this happened within I don't know about four months um so very quick I was quite impressed Mm. with the speed at which it was all happening and this was um I had my first assessment in May 2019 and here I am in November 2021 and it's I've still not had the final assessment they've told us that it's going to be another 18 months so we're kind of exploring other options now but yeah, that's kind of where we're up to. Um, I guess you've touched on it slightly, but are there any challenges about the process that stick out in your mind particularly? Definitely the waiting times. The waiting times are just really, really long. And I know everyone knows it. Everyone knows the waiting times, but I, yeah. I didn't expect it was going to take this long. Yeah. And I understand that they're perhaps quite underfunded and understaffed, but I think that leaving people waiting this long can be quite detrimental to mental health and leave people hanging and because um, initially they told us it was only going to be about six months. That must be quite a difficult emotion as well because if I was in that position making me feel like I wasn't a priority or that my yeah. well-being wasn't a priority and that must be really that must be a, a tough emotion. Yeah it definitely is it really is and you even if you, you know what the outcome is likely to be it's just a lot better to have it over and done with. It's just one less thing to think about. Wondered whether, even though the waiting times have um, been really challenging, how has the your interactions been? How have your interactions been with clinicians when you've met with them? Have you had positive experiences with? Yeah, with them? actually, that has been quite positive. Yes. So our first assessment did go really well. Um, and the, the psychologist I spoke to was very nice and, you know, listened to what I was saying and, you know, took everything in. So, yeah, I think that was a positive. Good. That's really good to hear. So um, I guess throughout throughout this process and in general as well, are there any strategies that you use to look after your mental health? Well, I do have quite a lot of strategies. I try to do meditation on a regular basis but it's kind of one of those things you you mean to do and don't always do it as much as you want but so that's quite good just being mindful I think distraction is quite a good one as well so even just doing something fun or going out for the day or just you know doing something if you're worried because I'm quite an anxious person so all of these strategies trying to um, alleviate anxiety but yeah they they do do work if I remember to use them that's another thing if you remember um (laughs) I use um, noise cancelling headphones. They are my absolute lifesaver. I go everywhere with them around my neck. And then if it's, you know, noisy, I can just, you know, pull them up and 
they are amazing they are the only thing that got me through school definitely I wore them a lot I use my special interests like reading I can get completely and utterly you know engrossed in a book and I can read the book and everything else disappears. I, I once read for like seven hours in a day. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a long time. <laughs> I don't do that every day, although sometimes I wish I could. It's quite a good escape. It's nice to feel absorbed by something completely. Yeah, definitely. It? it sounds like you have lots of cool hobbies as well. Yeah. I love all my um, sensory toys. I've got loads of different squishies and putties, slimes, fidget cubes, Poppets, goodness, I've got everything. <laughs> Do you think anything will change if you get an official diagnosis? Right here, right now, I think that I have quite a good understanding of my needs and my family have quite a good understanding of my needs. But I think it's good just to have that confirmation and for the rest of the world. And I've just started college and my college are really, you know, really accommodating, really supportive. But I think that going into adulthood, I really need that diagnosis just to maybe play myself um, better because kind of once you're out of education, maybe it's a bit harder to um, people to understand and, and just being able to say, I do this because of that is kind of, mm. and it's not an excuse. It's uh, an explanation, I think. And also that when you have your assessment and they write up the report, the report can include lots of potentially useful strategies that maybe you haven't thought of. Yeah, so in some ways, the, the diagnosis is also useful in just helping fight some of the stigma around the issue and helping other people to understand things that, that, that there is a general lack of understanding in society about. Definitely, there is. There really is a lack of understanding. But I've had two, two people in my life. Um, neither of these people are you know, in my life anymore as such. Um, one of them was at school and one of them was out of school. So... The person in school um, was, they were a really nice person. They helped me with my visual impairment. They um, provided my work in accessible formats. They did everything they could to help with my vision, but they never really understood the autism side of things. For example, if I was struggling with the noise, they would say, it's not that loud in here. You need to man up a bit. Our, Ooh, or no. <laughs> the one that really got me is everybody else can do it so why can't you they didn't really understand that I needed to leave my lesson five minutes early that was quite difficult and I would be getting up to leave and they'd be like why where are you going you know why are you getting up and, and I was in my head I'm screaming I need to go I need to go you know I couldn't speak and say because of this um yeah. I, I found that I was kind of being crushed in a way and that my my feelings and my needs in that respect just weren't being met and then I sort of felt well what's the point in me even trying to explain because I didn't feel that I was understood and it, it made my school experience you know quite for the first couple of years it made it quite challenging um, and and then that person wasn't there and then there were other people and they were were really understanding and they did everything they could you know my school experience changed and if you're out there listening, I'm not saying you're bad. I'm just saying that the lack of understanding of autism and my needs did have a big impact. And that, yes, maybe I could have explained things better, but as a 11, 12-year-old, I didn't really understand myself. So how could I speak out and explain it to someone else? But now I do. I think maybe I could have handled the situation better. 
the other person that was outside of school, that was, they didn't accept me for who I was. And they were always, um, you know, saying that I acted like a baby or that I was, you know, just always sort of comparing me to other people and thought that everything I did was really strange. Um, didn't understand the why behind things. Well, the worst thing or one of the worst things they said was stop flapping. That's mental behavior because I flap my hands when I'm excited. Probably looks mm-hmm. a bit strange, but it's kind of an essential release. Otherwise, I feel like I'm going to burst. It's not mental mm-hmm. behavior. It's self-regulation. Yeah. And it's really important that people yeah. understand that, you know, any anything, everything that someone does has a purpose. So flapping has a purpose. Um, using fidget toys has a purpose. Nothing is you know, done to annoy other people generally, these these self-regulating things are really necessary. I can't imagine not having the sense of sight and being in a classroom just with the noise alone, let alone with however else you're feeling. So I think it's just important that you, it is really great that you're using your voice to educate people. And I'm just sorry that, yeah, it kind of took that, you know, people shouldn't be judging People shouldn't be talking in that way about you. So, No, it, it was very difficult and I didn't really feel that I could speak up. You have to feel quite sort of confident about what's right and yourself before you can say. Back then, I didn't really. Like now, I, I think perhaps if I was faced with that in the future, I might be able to deal with it better. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think another thing that that brings up is that going back to school, if, if the right allowances are put into place, then it can transform your school experience from being really, you know, anxiety provoking and stressful and overwhelming to actually being able to, you know, enjoy yourself as much as you can at school. For example, leaving my lesson five minutes early, which was done in the end, just took time, that meant that I could go from lesson to lesson without feeling completely overloaded by the, the noise in the corridors and I could mm-hmm. you know reach my next lesson feeling a lot calmer and using fidget toys for example in class is really helpful because if I don't have a fidget toy I'll either end up picking the skin around my fingers which gets really painful and sore or I end up fiddling with things I shouldn't and then things get broken by accident and also like when you're when you're in school no one knows themselves very well that's the whole point of being a young teen you know the school environment is supposed to be a safe space for you to discover yourself and like learn learn more about yourself and grow up you know without judgment maybe now as a 17 year old you feel more confident to advocate for yourself but you shouldn't have to have advocated for yourself at 11 and 12 like no. everyone there's a responsibility of everyone around to understand Every, like that everyone has different experiences in school and making small adjustments or big adjustments if needed as well can really change someone's life and change their experience. And actually, because you use the fidget toys and because you left five minutes early, you actually probably got more from school because you were able to concentrate and learn better. Definitely. I mean, yeah, once those allowances were put into place, I definitely was, you know, I was, yeah, absorbing much more information because I wasn't so upset I I really went from really hating school to actually quite enjoying it in the end it sounds like um where you are now you've got a lot of um insight into your school experience a few years later yeah would would you have any advice for somebody 
who is slightly younger maybe going through a similar thing now that you're a few years down the line if you're where I was back then or if you're going through the process or if you're of getting a diagnosis or if you're at school and there are people who aren't understanding you I would say one learn as much about yourself as possible that is key so to do that I think surround yourself with like-minded people so sometimes it's hard to do that in person so what I've done is I've joined quite a lot of um, autism groups and I have you know even just sitting reading through people's posts is just you know really it's kind of like a revelation you're like oh my goodness I think the same or I feel the same and it's just a great feeling um and also the second thing I think you should do is if you're like me and you were kind of back there thinking I feel really different no one understands me I don't really feel that I've got you know I feel like I I need more people then try to find your people your people are out there and it's taken me a while to find my people don't feel that you've got to try and fit in with other people I know I'm different I'm quite happy to be different I know I'm not an average 17 year old and I don't actually want to be an average 17 year old if I'm being honest (laughs) I'm quite happy to be the way I am and yes some people may say that I'm my interests are that of much younger children maybe or for example some of the things I might like to watch on telly or the books I might read are meant for much younger children but it makes me happy. I mean, if, if I want to mm-hmm. walk around the supermarket and I want to go down the smellies aisle and open up all the bottles of soaps and smell them because I like the smell, then that's fine. People might yeah. think I'm weird, but <laughs> I really like the smell of soap. Yeah. So if I'm going to do that, that <laughs> do what makes you happy. And it can be really, really hard, um, especially if you've experienced that kind of judgment. But just remember that those that mind don't matter and those that matter don't mind. So that means that those that sort of butt in and question and judge, they don't actually matter in the grand scheme of things. Those that matter, they won't mind because they, they take you for who you are. And, and that's mm-hmm. sort of what my family are like. My family are just so open-minded and they don't mind what I'm up to. I really respect that. I think that is something that we could all learn a lesson from. Um, is being yourself and I think actually people that are the most respected and that people love being around they are the people that are themselves because they've got something about them Um, yeah so that's amazing something that I've thought about recently is this idea about play and how as adults we can still integrate play into our lives as because so much expression happens during that time yeah and I think it's really important that we don't shut that down as we develop because no. um it's it's really important for us and as time to um kind of like disconnect and um explore and like learn and that might be through like art or music or anything so I think yeah I think it's great to advocate for play to continue through our lives not just when we're children yeah definitely hello there i'm just jumping in in the middle of the podcast with an exciting opportunity we are looking for creative young people based in sussex age 16 to 25 who are interested in mental health is that you would you like to become a youth ambassador here are some of our youth ambassadors talking about why they chose to volunteer with us I became a youth ambassador because I'm passionate about mental health and in particular mental health with young people. I wanted to make a change in my local community. It was like one of those things where I always 
was passionate. I've always been passionate about mental health um, ever since I was in like, secondary school. And it's always something that I wanted to do. I became a youth ambassador to give back to the community uh, and helping out with young people who are maybe my age or younger. Also, it really helps my mental health because it makes me feel like I'm doing something to help other people and that's a big part of my kind of core values and, and beliefs that I enjoy doing. If this sounds like something you'd like to get involved with, head to our website, that's e-wellbeing.co.uk forward slash get involved to find out more. We hope to hear from you soon. Now back on with the podcast. So um, have you learned anything unexpected about yourself? I've learned a lot, definitely. Um, I've spent a lot of time trying, as I said, trying to learn as much about myself as possible. I've joined the groups, but I've also read some books about autism written by um, autistic teenagers, which has been amazing. So I would recommend Can You See Me? And the second one is Do You Know Me? And I've just got the third one and they are amazing. They're written by a, I think she's 12 year old girl and they are really just, I read the books and I was like, oh my goodness, it's just just makes so much sense and it's amazing just to see that and I've you know I've, I've watched people on on YouTube doing YouTube videos I've learned that having um having an autistic brain or a brain that works differently it has like anything in life it has its strengths and it has its weaknesses and I think I've learned that the strengths mean that I'm you know potentially good at some things that other people might really struggle with <clears throat> for example I I play the piano and I'm currently on grade six and I'm, I am learning to read music in Braille, but actually I've learned my pieces through listening. So my teacher actually reads out all the notes and I, and I have to memorize them, but I can do that. And I can, I can keep two page long pieces in my head because my memory just retains it. And I'm also one of my friends, um, she's teaching me how to solve a tactile Rubik's cube because she's also visually impaired. When, when your brain's like mine, it's sort of quite logical and, you know, methodical. And I think a good memory has many, lots of benefits. Like I'll say to mum, well, do you remember like six years ago, we went here and we did this. And she's like, what? Really? (laughs) Yeah, we went there and we did Basically, we have to be careful around you because you remember <laughs> everything we say. <laughs> yeah. And then if, if someone will say, oh, can you remember to tell me to put dishwasher on later or something like that? I'll, I'll probably forget, but I remember <laughs> everything else. <laughs> That's yeah. funny. Would you have any advice to give to parents or teachers supporting a young person going through this? Yeah, so I would, um, I would recommend that you learn as much about your child or the person you're supporting as possible so if someone's doing something and you don't know why then just you know try to think well they might be doing that because they're anxious or maybe they're doing it because they don't understand there's always a reason for things I think yeah definitely bear that in mind listen listen to what the person's saying so if they're trying to tell you something if they're trying to tell you that something's not working or if they're trying to tell you that they're unhappy then listen don't sort of just, you know, brush their concerns away. Trust me, trying to tell someone that something's not working or that something is needs changing, it's quite a big thing. So kind of, yeah. you know, be pleased that the person's trying to communicate with you that something's wrong and, and try to do the best you can. 
Um, so, you know, autistic people might not often show how they feel on the outside or they may show how they feel, but it might not be an accurate representation. So, for example, if if someone's at school, they might look really happy and they might be smiling all the time. But on the inside, they're actually really anxious and the smiles just to kind of cover because they might feel that they need to smile to look happy. Otherwise, they feel bad. They'll They'll be sort of trying to pretend that they're all right all day when they're not. And then they'll get home and then everything just gets too much and then they'll end up melting down, which is obviously not great. And then parents might say to teachers, my child's coming home from school really upset every day. And then the teachers might say, well, they seem fine. They're all yeah. smiling. What's going on there? Mm. So, yes, please bear in mind that, yeah, we might not always show how we feel. There's a lot that goes on under the surface. And I think emotions are quite a, a difficult thing for me. I often don't know how I feel. I'm kind of either, you know, I feel good or I feel bad. And I don't really know how I feel. It's kind of, yeah, one, one or the other. So if you can't always identify how you feel, it's really hard to show how you feel. So then, mm. you know, I might look neutral on the outside, but on the inside, I'm feeling like, you know, very scrambled up and thinking, I really don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. and that can be quite difficult and then if you can't understand how you feel how are you meant to express it in a way that other people are going to understand yeah and I guess that comes down to what you said before in terms of communicating mm-hmm. with your child yeah. or with your student um and like developing a relationship of trust so that you both feel like you can be open and honest and trust is really important and I think the best way to build a trusting relationship is simply to be understanding if you're really understanding and you accept the person then they're going to trust you if you say you know judgmental things or you don't understand them then they're not going to trust you it's really really simple so do you have like a favorite thing about being autistic or like a you know your favorite trait um that comes with autism I've got a couple actually. So my favorite, one of my favorites is how I can just get so enthusiastic about something. So for example, learning this Rubik's cube, I've been at it so much and I'm thinking about it all the time. My brain's constantly on it and I can't wait to learn the next bit. So we can kind of get stuck on things, which is kind of a positive and a negative, but if it's a good (laughs) thing or that you really, you're really into something, then it can be, it can be quite good quite a good escape and I can be really passionate about things and I can you know I can put a lot into if I'm really interested in something then it will it'll be kind of be all I think about um I'm generally I'm quite a happy person I I appreciate life's simplicities so I'm quite I'm you know ecstatic at the idea of a hot bath and a roast dinner that's enough (laughs) to keep me really happy and I think a lot of people they lose sight of the simple pleasures in life and take them for granted and you know for me I feel that I can really appreciate the small things and I think I'm quite um I'm very trustworthy if I say I'm going to do something I'll do it I won't lie and you know I won't break a promise I can be trusted upon very easily and I think that makes me quite a good friend as my friends know that I'm I'm just trustworthy and loyal and I think that's quite a good trait to have definitely is there is there what would be your least favorite trait then I think the biggest thing is kind of for me I have this thing where everything seems to build up um 
And for example, if I have a really stressful day, everything will just build up and then I'll end up, you know, melting down and stuff like that, which can be really hard. And I think kind of meltdowns are the worst thing, really. Mm. They are absolutely draining. Oh, and I should probably mention what a meltdown is. A meltdown is basically an emotional response to an overwhelming situation. So they can be caused by sensory stimulation so too much noise perhaps some of the bright lights or smells I mean everyone's different um it can be caused by change I'm I'm a big routine person problem with meltdowns is that they tend to look like a child having a tantrum they're not a tantrum this is the big thing they are someone saying this is too much and I really can't cope with this particular situation they are not a uh, you know stroppy child saying I want this I want that mm-hmm. it is it is really just a case of I'm really struggling and you know just kind of when you just can't take it anymore and you just explode but they're really really exhausting they they take quite a long time to recover from as well and I think to recover you need um time and you need sort of very low stimulation low demand just quiet and you know in in day-to-day life it's kind of hard to get that so I think just take time out for yourself and and just relax and try try to you know recover as best you can but yeah they are quite challenging and again there's quite a lot of stigma around that a lot of people Mm. wouldn't understand um I think a lot of parents get judged if their children are having a meltdown especially if they're out in public because mm. people just don't understand and they think the child's just being naughty and I've heard so many people who've had you know horrible things said to them mm. but and sometimes I can put all my coping strategies in you try your best to avoid it but it's one of those things that does just happen sometimes and you know just have to wait for it to pass and rest and then move on that's mm. what you do if people saw someone who looked like they might be having a meltdown, what do you think would be helpful for members of the public to know? So I've got quite a lot of ideas here. So everyone's different. So some some people need to be left alone. Some people might like a hug. Some people might like soothing music. Everyone's different. So, so bear in mind that everyone's different. But if you're a member of the public, then don't stare because it'll make either make them worse or make the people they're with worse. Just staring isn't very useful. I think just perhaps move on. You could maybe suggest, um, is there anything I can do to help? For example, maybe if you were in a restaurant and someone was having a meltdown, it could be caused by the music. So maybe if a member of staff said, is there anything we could do, it might be turning the music down. So sometimes there are things that can be, if not, then leave the person with whoever they're with just to calm down, maybe suggest a quiet place they could go to I'll give you an example I mean I've got quite a lot of examples but I'll give you one I actually had a meltdown in the middle of a school corridor once um in the middle of my GCSEs um the, the GCSEs that we had when was it earlier this year but they weren't they weren't they were obviously slightly different to ordinary GCSEs but they were still stressful definitely um mm-hmm. and it all got a bit much and and I was you know, really struggling and I ended up having a meltdown in the middle of a school corridor and, you know, I was just, and the teachers were all around me, surrounding me, like, come on, come on, get up, it's all right, just talking to me. And my brain felt like it was going to split open because I was already so overloaded and then they were talking to me and I just couldn't possibly process anymore. For me, I like to have space 
and I don't like you know people to be all over me situations where people have been quite you know they just thought I've been either really badly behaved or thought I should have been punished they said oh well if my child did that then they'd get you know punished mum was like well no I'm not going to punish her because it just happens and it's not as though I do anything bad it's just yeah people just don't understand sometimes never punish someone for a meltdown it mm. really won't work it will make things 101 times worse you need to look at the situation and figure out okay well this happened what can we do next time well why did they do that they didn't do it because they wanted to they did it because of I don't know for example they had homework they couldn't do and it was due in tomorrow and it all just got too overwhelming so perhaps they need more support with their homework do you see what I mean there's always a solution okay. and also it makes the person feel like they've done something wrong when you when you do have a meltdown you're not really in control so feeling as though you've done something wrong just makes you feel really bad and really guilty. That's why doing a podcast like this is really helpful because it can raise awareness and help educate people and know how to respond to situations like that to be the most helpful for that person. Yeah. Um, so it's really great to hear from, from actually a personal experience. You often don't know what someone's struggles are on the outside. So... If you met me, you wouldn't know much about me. I mean, you'd see what I look like and you might hear what I sound like, but you wouldn't necessarily know. So don't judge people's capabilities based on what you see. So, for example, one thing I really don't like is when people refer to people as being high functioning and low functioning. Doesn't really make much sense to me because if you say high functioning, it makes it sound like they don't really have any challenges at all and that they function perfectly well. And actually functioning really fluctuates throughout even the day, the week, the month. Yeah. I mean, I can be perfectly functional. I can go to college and I can get on fine. But then other times I really feel that I can't do anything at all. And I actually need to have a day or a couple of days just, just to do nothing. And, you know, I can't, I get overloaded and I just can't do anything and that's not really functioning is it you vary everyone mm. varies and again if you say someone's low functioning for example if you met someone who was perhaps non-verbal um autistic you'd think oh they're they're low functioning they can't do anything they're you know helpless it's not the case at all just because someone doesn't have verbal language doesn't mean they can't communicate there are mm -hmm. um i've heard of many autistic non-verbal people who actually through the use of technology, they can express themselves really well. And they've actually got super brains that have the words. The words just don't come out of their mouths. But yeah. the words are still there and they're incredibly intelligent. But just because they can't speak, people will think they're helpless. And if you're if you can speak and you can, you're academically able, then people think you're absolutely fine when actually, no, you're not absolutely yeah. fine all the time. No one is. Um, yeah, it's, it's not a very nice label it's an uncomfortable one because as, as you were saying it's kind of as insinuating as in they're not able they're not sort of worthy of yeah language matters doesn't it yeah, yeah. and I also think that labeling someone as high functioning is also kind of that negative stereotype that is often portrayed about autism where people like that just means you're really clever and you can remember lots of things. It's not very, I don't think they're very helpful yeah. labels to say high and low. No, they're really not. Yeah, autism used to be split into things like Asperger's, 
classic autism and pervasive developmental disorder not otherwise specified. They were the three old terms that were used to fit people into a box. Well, if you're classic autistic, then you can't speak. You can't, you know, do much. If you've got Asperger's, then you can, you know, just trying to fit people into these boxes didn't work. So then they just turned it into um, ASD or ASC, which is just a much broader category. And yeah. and terms like high functioning and low functioning, I think are definitely fizzling out, hopefully. But yeah. we are yeah. still, you know, we, we're on a journey, I think. And mm. things are evolving all the time. I mean, I'd like to say that one day we'll get into a society where people will be so accepting and so amazingly accommodating that we don't even need any of these terms and people can just be them but I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon people might say that you're high functioning if you're you know able to have children or or get a job that's almost like if you do what society expects you to do then you're high functioning and if you don't do what society expects you to do then you're you're not functioning but actually who's to say you have to do that anyway functioning by whose standards yeah right exactly and okay if you don't maybe if you don't have a partner and you don't have children and you work I don't know making fidget toys I don't know well you're not doing the (laughs) dream job (laughs) doesn't mean you're you know less functioning I think that society kind of needs to get rid of these expectations that you're meant to do this and you're meant to do that it's your life so make it how you want to make it and do what makes you happy again it comes back to this thing of just be you that's a really nice I think that's a really nice statement to finish on as well like you know labels can be limiting and in the end just be what makes you happy is what I'm sort of taking away from your message Louisa and that's I think a really positive yeah positive thing it's so good to hear from your experiences thank you so much for having me I mean I'm so pleased that I got this opportunity and I'm really hoping I can do more raising awareness it's given you a boost to do it Yes, it has. It's, I feel like it's almost been a bit of a starting point. Yes. Brilliant. All right, great. Well, thank you, Louisa. Thank you. All right, bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay, folks, thanks for listening. And thanks so much again to Louisa and Amani for joining us. We had such a nice time talking to them. Um, and just a little bit of news as well. Since recording the podcast, Louisa received her official diagnosis. So that's really exciting. Um, but yeah, thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and please share it around. And remember, if you need some support with your mental health, the eWellbeing Youth Platform is packed with supportive tips, advice and coping strategies. Check it out at e-wellbeing.co.uk. And before you go, make sure to follow us on our socials. For Instagram, that's at underscore eWellbeing, and that's the same for Twitter. And for Facebook, it's just eWellbeing.